So, what do you wonder? Really, what do you wonder about? Perhaps one of the greatest things uh, about being a, a human, and I believe this is one of these things that God has kind of gifted us with as human beings, and if you don't believe in, in God, if you're not a theist um, by means, then you probably believe that, that somehow evolution created this in us or, or somehow we developed this. But one of the greatest things that we have as humans is the ability to wonder. To, to wonder about what, what's next, to wonder about what life could be like, to wonder about what our future holds for us. What do you wonder? I remember the, the first time I held my, my first child, Isabella, she's seven now, but I remember holding her for, for the first time, and, and in particular, those first few months, I was just kind of captivated with the idea of, of this, this little child and, and all that surrounded her and all the hopes and joys and dreams that we had as parents. But, but one night I remember holding her in my arms and I looked over at Tanya, we were in bed, and I said, honey, I wonder what she wonders about. Like there's got to be something going on inside that head of hers. What does she wonder about? When, it, when it's inside her, this, this small being just starting out in life, what does she wonder about? Maybe you've met somebody at the other side, at the tail end of their life, having lived decades and decades and decades and seen so many presidents and history and science just unfold and change. And you just wonder, what are you wondering about with all that you've seen and all that you've experienced? Let me ask you, what do you wonder about? Wonder is this incredible thing. It allows us to have hope for the future. It allows us to dream about what could be. And when it comes to us in our lives, what do you wonder about? And when it comes to this whole idea of wonder, here's what I find really interesting. We kind of wonder, we hope, we dream, we think about the future, really through kind of a, a frame of reference. I was going to try to hang this up, but it's a lot heavier than I thought. So we're just going to look at it on the ground. <clears throat> but we kind of look through a window, a window and on, on this side of the window, we kind of observe through it, and through this window, we, we have this kind of frame of reference that, that, that we kind of wonder through, that we kind of dream about, that we kind of perceive life through and perceive all of life's experiences through. But what's interesting to me as we, talk, as we begin this discussion and really talk about this whole idea of a frame of reference is we kind of wonder because our frame of reference or kind of our viewpoint, our window, it doesn't provide all the answers for us. We look through, but we don't see everything. And, and, and really, as we kind of, kind of grow and we, we learn more and we have more knowledge and we spend more time studying, our frame of reference begins to change a little bit. But our, our window, our reference point, it doesn't show all the answers to us. And it doesn't seem as big of a deal maybe when you're young and you're starting off, but as you get older, it, it begins to make a bigger deal to us. It begins to be something, uh, somewhat of a challenge for us. But as we wonder... And some of our questions get answered as we wonder and we see some of these, these things become reality. Oftentimes what happens is it just kind of leads to more wonder. For example, you learned in, in school at some point, and, and this isn't going to seem very important to you now because I'm sure it didn't seem very important to you then, but you learned at some point that, that most scientists held to this belief called the steady state theory of the universe. If, if you remember that, you're, this next thing I'm going to say is going to seem totally void to you, but if you don't, I'm going to explain this. The steady state theory of the universe was this. Scientists kind of believed that the universe just existed, that matter kind of was, that, that everything we see and everything we know as far as the universe and the cosmos, it just was. And, and nothing really kind of, kind of impacted that. And scientifically, that was, that was a plausible explanation. But it really didn't make sense mathematically in philosophy. Because here's another thing you probably learned about, and I know we're getting really scientific in this discussion. But, but mathematically, it posed a problem because you couldn't have an infinite number of actuals. You could have an infinite number of potentials, 
but you couldn't have an infinite number of actuals. And if, and if matter just was, if our universe just was, if, if the stars just were, and the earth and life just was, that was an infinite number of actuals. So even though this, this whole idea, this theory, this steady state theory made sense scientifically, it didn't kind of line up philo philosophically, it didn't line up mathematically. So the community, the science community, the mathematical community began to wonder. And in 1929, a man named Edwin Hubble, observing through a telescope, he saw that our universe is actually expanding at a very rapid rate, that things are all kind of moving apart from themselves at this incredible speed, and that if you kind of, kind of backtracked that together, then you would realize that all of the universe, as it's expanding this way, at one point, it all kind of came down and boiled down to one kind of singularity, to one kind of final point, to one kind of big bang idea which kind of led to the Big Bang show, which is, I'm sure, more relevant to us than this whole discussion. <laughs> but science, because of wonder, began to, to boil this idea down that maybe somehow there was this, this the kind of Big Bang that sent everything out into motion. Albert Einstein, who was a scientist who held to the steady-state theory, when he heard this, he, he kind of knew of, of the repercussions. He knew where this would lead, and it was very disturbing to him. And then in 1931, Edwin Hubble drove Albert Einstein out to the Mount Wilson Observatory to see for himself, and the entire world changed. And then in 1964, the discovery, and this is uh, long and it's hard to say even while I'm reading it, cosmic microwave background radiation. You probably didn't study that, and that's okay. But cosmic microwave background radiation suddenly confirmed the, the shadow, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the universe all kind of boiled down and started from one point. And as that became something that, that the science community adopted and believed, it created more wonder and more questions for everyone else. You see, we all have a frame of reference, or a, a, rather a reference point or a framework that helps us make sense of our life, and it helps us make decisions that make, them, uh, that make sense. We all kind of have a frame of reference. We, we all do, and our frame of reference, it really kind of impacts how we live and how we, we even believe. It kind of dictates what we believe. It dictates what we should do, not what we always do, but it dictates what we should be doing. It also dictates what we have hope in or what maybe we find worth hoping for for our future. The other thing about all this is that uh, we inherit this, don't we? Right? We weren't born with, with a framework. We were born and we were kind of a blank slate. And, and, and however we were raised, we, kind of, we kind, were kind of given, we were kind of inherited this framework. That somewhere along the line, our parents or whoever raised you, they kind of developed this framework for you and it was handed for you. And as a child, that was good. But as it got older and as you began to wander and as you had more questions, you began to, began, began to kind of adapt the framework, didn't we? We adapted it to our life's experience, to the questions we saw, to the new knowledge that came in that didn't kind of line up with our framework. Some of us, we may have even, we may have even kind of thrown it out, not even bothered ad adapting it. We just kind of abandoned it and went in our own direction. Some of us, throughout time, we saw what our parents developed, this framework, and we thought we knew better than them because we had more information than they've ever had, and we could ask questions they could never answer. So we went away from our framework, and then we saw, as we got older, how much our parents actually knew, and we kind of went back to the framework, realizing they're a lot smarter than we think they are. If you're in high school, you should remember this. <clears throat> Someday you will get there. And we go back to the framework that our parents had. But we all kind of have a framework, and we've all kind of inherited a framework that was given to us. If you're like me, it may have been a religious framework. Maybe you were raised in church, and it was kind of this very religious framework. There's a God, and we love God, and there's Jesus, and we love when we follow Jesus. Maybe it was a kind of religious framework, 
right? Where you go to church and, and you might believe there's a God, but you don't talk about it. And there's some difficult questions, but we never ask those questions because we're not really sure of the answers. Maybe it was an academic framework. Maybe it was all about your mind and kind of how your mind's enlightened. Maybe it's scientific. Maybe it was a combination of those two. Maybe it was a moralistic framework, like a legalistic framework of how we ought to live and how we need to live and how we need to behave. And it's all about our behavior. We behave a certain way to get a certain result and a certain outcome. Maybe it was kind of opportunistic, right? It's all about taking care of me. No one else is going to look out for me. I've got to look out for number one. And all of my framework is about how does it help and benefit me. Maybe it's karma. Maybe it's that things happen for a reason. Or maybe it's the opposite of that, that things happen for no reason, and it's fate. Whatever it might be for you, the truth is, somewhere along the lines, we all have a framework. We've all inherited a framework. And most of us, as we've grown and as we've kind of wondered, and as we've answered some questions, our framework has kind of adapted, and it's kind of shifted, and it's kind of morphed. But we all have a framework. And this framework allows us to wonder. And what's interesting about this, and maybe even a little disturbing about this, but the, but the more we kind of see our life experiences and the questions that we have and this new information that's coming out that doesn't line up with our framework, we begin to wonder more because it, things aren't lining up and it's a little disturbing to us. I had this framework and everything was supposed to fit you know, in, inside this, night, this nice cute little box. And then when it doesn't fit, it's, it's, it's kind of disturbing. And then we begin to wonder. And then wondering leads to wandering. And then we wander around like a dog off its leash, like, like, like a canary out of its cage, like a cat. It really doesn't go with a cat. I, I don't, if you have a cat, there's no hope there. It's really like a dog off a leash or like a bird let out of its cage. We kind of wander around for the first time. And, and what's, what's interesting about wandering and maybe perhaps even a little dangerous about wandering is that when people begin to wander, we don't often wander in good directions, do we? So for the next few weeks, here's what I want to do. <clears throat> I want to talk to you. To, to those of you who would say, you know what, I kind of grew up with, with this religious framework, or I grew up with this kind of religious framework. I grew up believing that there was a God. I grew up believing in, in church and, and all the things that churches do. But as I grew older, I began to realize that, that this framework that was kind of established for me, this framework that I kind of inherited, it doesn't line up with this new information I have. As I've begun to wonder and as I've begun, begun to, to ask questions, this framework that I was given, it, it's not, it, things aren't fitting into that nice little box for me. And, and because of that, I've now begun to wander away. I, I, I've, I've maybe adapted my framework and made it something that it's not, and, and that doesn't even make sense anymore. Or, or, or perhaps as, as I've seen the, the, the inconsistencies, maybe with my family or maybe even with the church, as I've seen some hypocrisy and, and I've seen that things aren't lining up the way they should be through my frame of reference, I maybe even abandoned it and went my own way. I, I want to talk to you over the next few weeks. And my hope is this, is that I want to invite you back in to this kind of Christian uh, viewpoint, to this kind of different framework, not built on what you thought it was built on, perhaps not built even on what your parents had built it on for you or what your church had built it on for you. Because my guess is that if you're here and you've wondered and that wondering led to wandering, then it wasn't fixed on the right thing then your viewpoint or your framework wasn't fixed on the right thing. And what I want to do is I want to kind of invite you back in. 
I want to invite you in over this holiday season as we think about Jesus and the birth of Jesus and we celebrate Christmas and, and you can decide to celebrate it you know, because you believe that, that it's, it's this awesome religious holiday that we think it is or you can just celebrate because it's about presents and Santa Claus or you can decide to not celebrate at all and just you know, stick your hand in the sand for the next few weeks as we all celebrate Christmas. Whatever that case might be for you, during this holiday season, I want to invite you back in and I kind of want to invite you to rethink through your framework and perhaps fixing it on Jesus and not on the things we fixed it on as children. Maybe not the things we fixed it on as we grew up and we began to ask questions and we began to wander. Maybe not fix it on the same things that our inherited framework was fixed on. But if we come back and we begin to see that this whole idea of what Jesus was starting, the whole idea of church as it should be, it wasn't fixed on, on these kind of superfluous things, but it was fixed on one person, on Jesus. And that if we continue to, to have our framework where it is, it's going to continue to adapt. It's going to continue to change. Life's going to throw things at it, and we're going to be, be, be concerned because it's not going to line up with our framework. But if we can begin to understand that Jesus is here, and Jesus is our point of reference, and when our framework is founded with Jesus, that we can see and experience all that life will throw at us, and it doesn't have to change because there is one constant, and that's Jesus. So my hope for you over these next few weeks is that you would wonder, that you would wonder what life would be like, that you would wonder if perhaps maybe somewhere along the way we got it wrong and that we may even wander our way back to Jesus. Now, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm sure as we begin this conversation, some of you are thinking, you know, that sounds really good and that sounds really interesting. And if that's just like this academic exercise, that's great, Jim. But, but my experience and, and, and what I've kind of lived my life through and all of my life's experiences, the, the, I, I tend to feel like if I do this, if I kind of sign off on this, if I uh, accept your invitation and walk through this exercise with you, that I'm going to lose something in the mix. And my guess is, your thought is, I'm going to lose my mind. That really, to, to, to kind of follow through on this faith thing, that I just have to kind of throw science out the window and I have to throw philosophy out the window, that, that all, all the knowledge that I have just has to get thrown out the window because the faith that I observed as a child, and maybe you experienced this, really the faith that I observed as a child is really just faith in faith. That, that's, what, that's what religion, that's what Christianity feels like. I just have to have faith in faith. I have to believe that I can believe. I have to believe in a belief somewhere. And perhaps I might have to lose my mind in the mix. What I want to talk to you today about through Scripture is to show you that you don't have to lose your mind, that you can have a, a framework that has Jesus on this side of the frame, that has Jesus on this side of our framework, and you can kind of view life through it, and you don't have to give, throw science out the window. You can view science through that framework and see how it aligns with Jesus. You can see how philosophy aligns with Jesus. Another thing you might feel like you have to lose is your freedom, and you'd be right about that. Because to follow Jesus, it means it kind of requires you to say no to you. But the truth is, doesn't every framework require you to say no to you? Every framework, every kind of shift, whether it's religious or non-religious, whether it's theistic or non-theistic, whether it's just a viewpoint of you, it's a new view of you, it all requires you to say no to something. It really requires you to say no to you. And your decision in this whole kind of experience is just to decide who do, like, in which way do I say no to myself? So perhaps, as we continue this exercise, could our framework be a little off? I'm going to ask you a question that, that might be a little offensive, but, but, but could it be 
that there is this fatal, fatal flaw in your framework somewhere. And could it be, and here's the offensive part, that that fatal flaw is you. Because really, what do you know? What do we know? What do you know and what do we know? Our, our, all of our knowledge it kind of shifts. A, a, a years and years, science continues to expand. Philosophy continues to expand. All of our information shifts. Last week, they told you coffee was bad. This week, they tell you coffee is good. It, it, it's all kind of shifting and moving. So really, if, if you were to ask yourself or really answer this question, what do you know? W what do we know? I mean, as a child, we hated going to the dentist, right? We hated our parents for taking us to the dentist. And now we drive there willfully. Like, what, what's up with that? Along the way, things begin to change. Along the way, our, 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 our kind of framework begins to shift on the very same things. You probably remember this. At some point in your life, you probably said this. You were sure she was the one. You were sure he was the one. And now you're doing everything you can to find a way out. We had to have it. I had to have it. You remember feeling that way? I had to buy it. I had to get, get, get the loan and get the money. I had to get the credit card. I, I, had, I had to do whatever I could to purchase it. And now you're regretting that you ever made the purchase. We had to go. I had to be there. I had to go. I had to find a way to get there. I had to get there. And now you're regretting that you ever went. You were so mad. I can't believe she said that to me. I can't believe he would do that. I'm just so mad. And then you hear the rest of the story. You see, really, what do we know? What do you know? And I know that bothers us a little bit. But the truth is this, my frame of reference, my worldview and your worldview, your, your kind of frame of reference, the, the way we both kind of interpret and see things in the world through our life experience, my frame of reference and your frame of reference is limited. Now, here's what Christians believe. And if you grew up um, in the Christian church, maybe no one told you this, so you didn't know that we actually believe this. And if that's the case, then let me apologize to you for that. I'm sorry about that. But here's, in fact, what Christians believe. We believe, and all the New Testament writers kind of back this point, that through our frame of reference, we kind of look through, and maybe we don't have a very good idea of who God is. We're not really sure where God is and if we can know God and how he means to us, that God decided, kind of looking down on humanity, that I'm not going to wait till their knowledge kind of builds up. I'm not going to wait till their experience builds up. I'm going to do something now to kind of interject myself into their story. I'm not going to continue to wait till they can solve all the mysteries of the universe and figure all the questions out about life. I'm not going to wait till every question they have is answered. I want to do something now so that they can know me. And God does something incredibly significant. He sends someone to our side of the frame to our framework, to our reference, so that we have a reference point as we kind of look out on God and who God is. Because as we continue to discover, and as knowledge continues to expound, and science continues to answer questions, God said, I'm not going to wait that long. I want to do something now so that these people will know me. Christians believe that God sent someone to our side of the frame to be a point of reference the New Testament teaches that God didn't want to wait that long for us to know who he was and for us to know him. So God decided to interject himself in history and do something significant. 
And the Bible, our English Bible, you probably know this, it's divided up into two parts. There's the New Testament and the Old Testament. This Old Testament, if, if you're Jewish, this is just your Old Testament scriptures. If you're Jewish, I need to apologize for like two and a half thousand years of us kind of hammering your Bible and calling it old. It's not old to you, it's, it's your Bible. But to us, it was considered, we kind of put it together in this book and we called it old. It's not old. But we have this, these two kind of divided uh, storylines in, in what we would call the Bible. The New Testament and we have the Old Testament. And this Jewish Bible, these documents were written by, by this Jewish people about a Jewish history. And the New Testament, this kind of hinge point in history where everything begins to change because God sends somebody to our side of the frame for our point of reference. And they were combined together in a book called Tabiblia, or the Bible. In the second half of the English Bible, there's a document called Hebrews. And we call it Hebrews because we don't really know who wrote it. A man, it could have been a woman, we're really not sure who wrote it. But what's interesting is this whole kind of document is really a sermon written to Hebrew people, written to Jewish people, who had begun at, at some point uh, since Jesus had his ministry on earth, who had decided that their, Jesus really was the Messiah and that their kind of religious beliefs had now aligned to Jesus. And, and I've tried to do this before, but I can't like illustrate and emphasize enough how incredibly unique and how incredibly powerful it was for somebody who was raised Jewish for somebody who was raised with the Old Testament scriptures as their Bible, to decide that somebody had entered the world in flesh and blood and was their Messiah, was their God, and it had kind of aligned all of their religious beliefs with Jesus. It was incredible. And these people began to do that. But as they, as they shifted their beliefs there and they continued to live as this kind of new, new like Jewish person who believed and followed Jesus, they, they began to question some of their religious beliefs. They began to question why they believe what they believe and why they do what they do. So this author writes into this situation, hey, don't stop believing. Don't lose your faith. You're like your, your frame of reference is just wrong and we've got to realign to the frame of reference that you need. It's, it's not like, like you can lose all hope in this. I want you to know that you can believe and here's why you can believe. And the writer of Hebrews invites them and, and I feel like he invites us to even read who Jesus is, and what he's done for us. So the answer to the question, the answer to the question is, why shouldn't I abandon my faith? Why shouldn't I just kind of change my framework? Why shouldn't I just abandon it or adapt it to what I want and to how I want to live? The answer to the question is really one word. We're going to begin reading at Hebrews verse 4. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, since we have since we have, it's like that past and present tense, since we now have a great high priest. And the high priest was important for the Jewish people because they believed the high priest stood between the world and God. There was a high priest who came and stood between the mankind, humanity, and God. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is Jesus, who ascended into heaven, because that's what the, the disciples believed. They saw Jesus die, then they saw him raised from the dead. They, he gave them a few good messages, and then he just kind of ascended somewhere. They assumed he just ascended into heaven. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, since we have him, that's the reason that we should hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Now, this is kind of, kind of like, like the whole kind of apex for the argument, right? Just in these couple of verses, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying since everything has gone well, 
He's not saying since everything's worked out for you, you can believe this. He's not saying since, since everything's kind of going your way, since all of life's uh, questions have been answered, since you've figured out all the great mysteries of the universe, since, since everything that you've ever wondered about has come, come true, you've, you now have those answers. Then you can believe and then you can follow God. He's not saying that. What he's saying is this. Since there is Jesus, since God sent Jesus, we should hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And later he says this, and we're going to get into this really in part three of this series. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since, and again, this is that, that like past and present tense thing, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And when he's talking about this great cloud of witnesses, in Hebrews chapter 11, the author goes through this, this whole story of all of these great Jewish heroes, all these incredible men who have lived these incredible lives. And they were heroes to this culture. Maybe not heroes to us because we're not Jewish, but in this culture, they were the heroes. It was people like Abraham and Moses and Noah and David and Solomon, all these incredible men. They give him this incredible list for this reason, because all of these men lived and died believing this, that somewhere along the way, God was going to do something in the world and for the world, right? Abraham received that promise from God. Abraham received a promise from God that said, someday this man would become a family, and this family would become a nation. And then here's this incredible part, that this nation, through this nation, the entire world would be blessed. And Abraham lived his entire life believing that and never seeing the promise fulfilled. And men after man after man after woman after woman after nation after century after generation, they lived with that view, with that framework that someday God's going to interject himself into our world and he's going to do something through this nation in the world and for the world. And all of these incredible men had lived and it died. And you almost wonder if at some point in their lives, maybe on their deathbed, they kind of thought to themselves, man, did, like, did I just die believing nothing? Is that promise that, that, that God made Abraham, the things that I've been taught, the things that I've been told, I haven't seen it come true. So maybe it's not true. Maybe God didn't do any of it. And this author's reminding us and reminding, reminding you, reminding his first century audience that these incredible men, these heroes of the faith, they lived and they died holding on to the promises. They couldn't even see the promise. They couldn't see what was to come. They had no idea how God was going to enter this world and change this world through this nation. But they held on believing every day. And he's saying to this audience, you can do the same thing, not because of the promise, but because you've seen the promise fulfilled. You're on the other side of the promise. You're on the side of fulfillment. You've seen the answer come. It was so much more difficult for them who had no idea and for thousands of years held on to this belief. But for you that are living now, for you that are reading this sermon, this letter, this little document called Hebrews, you're on the other side of the promise. You've seen it fulfilled. God came and he interjected himself into the world and in the world and through the world, he did something significant. We are on that side of the promise. And so often for us, isn't it challenging when we think through, well, it doesn't line up with what I believe, and, and I've been taught that, but I didn't see it. And someone said that, but, but it doesn't really, like how long do I have to just hold on to that belief and never see it? Writers of Hebrews saying, how many men before you have come and have gone and have lived and died holding on to that belief? But for you, it doesn't have to be that way. 
God has done something in the world and for the world. Of all the people, of all the generations, of all the men and women who have come before you, you can believe because you're on the other side of the promise. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the, the thing that hinders, anything that kind of gets in the way of that, and the sin that so easily entangles us and kind of trips us up, kind of wraps itself around our feet and causes us to fall. The sin that for so many of you, as you kind of grew up, the, the sin that, that you didn't feel comfortable with, the, thing, the, the, the sin that, that just kind of kept you feeling guilty all the time and you didn't like the way the guilt felt, you didn't like the way that that, that, that sin made you feel. So there's only really two ways to resolve it. Either I, I change the way I live and I change this thing that I'm doing that's making me feel guilty, or I just change my frame of reference. And since I don't want to not live this way, I'm just going to change what I believe. I'm just going to change my frame of reference. And we never change how, how we behave. We never change this thing that's tangling us up. We just want to do something to make us feel less guilty. So we change our frame of reference. And maybe we don't believe that. And maybe that's not how it was said. And maybe that doesn't apply to me. And what happens? We begin to feel more liberated. We begin to feel less guilty. We begin to enjoy our life a little more because we've changed our frame of reference, but we haven't changed anything that we're doing. We haven't changed our, our, our behavior at all. We've just changed our view of the world. So how, how do you know this, Jim? Because year after year after year, I hear people say this all the time. Yeah, I just didn't want to end that relationship. I know it was wrong, but I just didn't want to stop doing it. I know I shouldn't do that, but I really didn't want to do something else. So I just decided to stop b believing. But do you know what else I also hear? I also hear that, yeah, even though I decided to stop believing it, even though I decided to kind of change my view on that stance or my view on, on, on that religion, there was something inside me that, that just, it just never felt right. There was something inside me, I just never, I never felt at peace. I never felt like everything was okay and everything was working out. The author of Hebrews goes on, and let us run with perseverance or endurance, the race that's marked out for us. Or in other words, there is a frame of reference in our lives that allows us to know God and to know who God is and to know what God wants for us. There is a frame of reference for that. And it's a frame for everything. It's not simply just philosophy. It's not simply just religion. It's a person. And he says to this Jewish group of people, look, you're on the fulfillment side of the promise that God has made to the world. God has fulfilled his promise by sending his son into the world. You're beginning to lose focus. You're beginning to lose heart. You're beginning to question the, 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 the very things you were taught as a child. Your perspective And I need you to refocus your attention. Not on a book, not on an institution, not on a church, not on a leader, but on a specific person. And then he says these incredible words. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now real quick, 
Your religious upbringing, whether it was in a church or in a synagogue or whether it wasn't in a church at all, your, your religious upbringing, it kind of has a, a frame of reference. And, and really, it's, it's built on, on, this, on things that we kind of experienced as kids, whether you know, it was like growing up in church and you went to camp and, and you had this really emotional experience and you said a prayer and then everyone told you you were a Christian, but you kind of feel like, well, I, I'm not a Christian. Nothing's really changed, but they tell you everything's changed. Or you went to church and one day you went forward and you kind of filled out a card and a person who was older than you told you you were a Christian and presented you to the church and you feel like, like nothing inside you ever changed. We all kind of have that, that frame of reference for how we view the world. My guess is that for most of us, unfortunately, our frame of reference was focused on something other than Jesus. Even though you may have grown up in a Christian church, perhaps it was focused on a pastor because he was so great and she was so great and they were so funny. Perhaps it was focused on your church. It was all about coming to church. You have to go to church. You have to be at church Sunday. Are you going to be at church? You have to be in God's house on Sunday morning. Maybe it was focused on the Bible because it's God's holy word and everything's in it true. And I don't understand it, but everything's in it. And it's so confusing, but everything is in it. It's true. So you got to focus. It's built on God's word. Maybe it was fixed on an experience. Maybe it was that camp experience. You went and it was so emotional that you kind of got caught up in everything. And at the end of it, they called you a Christian, but you didn't feel like your life had changed at all. But they would tell you, no, you're, you're part of it now. You're part of the family. You're part of, of Christianity, all because of an experience. Or maybe it was circumstance. Maybe you grew up in a religious framework, and you had th this kind of religious ideas about how God should work, and that, that if I'm, I'm following God, everything works out right. And then something kind of negative happens, something bad happens. Maybe you believed and you didn't see things change the way you thought they should. Maybe you prayed over someone and the pastor said, if you have enough faith, he's going to be healed, and they weren't healed. And you did all the right things, and none of the right things happened. This is why so many people, this is why so many young people walk away from their faith. Because their faith was built and fixed on something other than the person of Jesus. It could have been built on a person, an institution, an organization. But the writer of Hebrews says, the only thing we are to build our faith on, the only thing that, that we are to kind of focus our eyes on, the frame of reference for us, our reference point, is Jesus. Not an organization. Not a building. Not a leader. But Jesus. Then he tells us, because Christianity didn't begin with a church, Christianity didn't begin with a book, Christianity did, didn't begin with an organization, it didn't even begin with a philosophy or a theology, Christianity began with a person, and the person that God sent to our side of the point of reference, that God sent to our side of the frame, so that while we caught up with all of God's mystery, while we caught up with all that God was doing in the universe, we could know who God is, and we could know where we stood with him. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, that is the founder and the originator of faith. Christianity didn't begin from an organization or a book. It began person, and that person is Jesus. 
He was the founder. He was the beginner of our faith. And then he says this, he's also the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that brings conclusion. He was the beginning and he was the end. There is nothing else about this thing called Christianity or faith in God or faith in Jesus. Nothing else that it can be built on. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher. He's the originator or the pioneer and the perfecter. It is Jesus and that is it. It's not about an organization. It's not about a book. It's not about something else maybe in your reference point that I'm not hitting. It's not about a charismatic leader. It's not about what we do. It's about a person and his name is Jesus. And when our reference point changes and it's built on him, it, it becomes the linchpin for how we view kind of the rest of life. All of our, all of our, uh, our view, of the kind of the lens changes. Our reference point changes a little bit because it's no longer built on things that it was never meant to be built on. Things that crumble, things that decay, things that change. Things that deceive you, things that can hurt you. It was built on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But the group of people that read this letter, the sermon, the author continues. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross. And when we think this, you know, we just kind of gloss over it because we have this, this kind of pretty view of a wooden cross with light shining behind it and it looks so majestic. And we kind of romanticize it a little bit, but for these people, it wasn't romanticized. You see, we'd never seen a crucifixion. We've never smelled the bodies. We've never, we've never experienced a body being drugged off the cross and what it looks like and what it smells like and that feeling around it. But these people, who the author of Hebrews is writing to, they had. So there was no romanticizing, oh, well, it's just a cross. They understood the weight. They understood how heavy it was. They understood how graphic and how awful it was. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before Jesus, for knowing you and connecting you to the Father, he willingly endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then these two powerful words, He's kind of drawing them all back in. Your views may have shifted. You may have thought that what you were raised with doesn't line up with what you're experiencing now. You, you may have had questions that couldn't have been answered and you began to wonder, which led to wandering. But I want you to come back in now because all of that was built on something that wasn't what it should have been built on. All of that could have been built on an experience or a circumstance or a building or a book or, or, or a charismatic individual. But all of that should have been built on Jesus. Now I want you to come back in and listen to this. Consider him, he says. Consider him. Maybe for you, even reconsider him. Consider who he is, not what people have told you about him. Consider what he taught, not what other men have taught about him. Consider the claims he made, not what other people have claimed about him. Consider him, not that. Consider him, not all of those other things. Consider him, not the experience. Consider him, not the circumstance. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. And here it is. So that you, the first century audience, and so that you, this audience, will not grow weary and lose heart. Will not grow weary and lose faith. The reason perhaps that you walked away from your point of reference, the reason perhaps that you walked away from, from your reference, your kind of framework at all, was that that reference was not Jesus. It's because somewhere along the way perhaps, it was built on something other than Jesus. It was something or someone else. Because God showed up on our side of the framework. 
God decided. It's not good enough for you to just wonder about him. It's not good for you to wonder about where you stand with him and wonder about all the things God wants for you. I'm going to come to your side of the framework. I'm sending my son to be your reference point. Fix your eyes on him. Not on the things that undermine your faith. On him. Let me ask you a question. If you've wandered and then you've wandered, here's the question I want you to consider. What was the faith that you lost fixed on or fastened to? What was the faith that you lost fixed on or fastened to? If at one point you wandered because it just didn't make sense anymore, you kind of did away with this religious framework, you did away with, with the Christian framework, with, with the idea that, that maybe that there's more to this life than just this life. I want to invite you back in to celebrate this Christmas season by shifting your framework and allowing Jesus to be your reference point, allowing Jesus to be the framework you view through. If at one point along the way, you kind of walked away or abandoned your framework, what was it hooked to? What was it hooked on? What was it built on? My guess is for most of us, it was built on something other than Jesus. From my experience, it could have been built on a church. It could have been built on an individual. It could have been built on an experience. For yours, it could have been built on, on something that denied science and denied philosophy, and it just didn't make sense. But would you be willing, this holiday season, would you be willing these next few weeks to reconsider, to invite Jesus back in and allow him to be your point of reference for this framework? Perhaps your eyes got fixed on the wrong thing. Perhaps your eyes got fixed on the wrong person. That's something you need to wonder about. And as you begin to wonder about it, my hope is that it would cause you to wander back here next week for part two of Welcome to Wonderland. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for this incredible sermon that was kept for years and years that we can learn from. God, I pray for all of us as, as our kind of framework, as our view of life and, and our, our worldview, how we experience things and filter things, God, as it began to shift from when we were children to now, God. I pray that over these next few weeks, we would get back, we would begin to even understand how you interceded for us and sent Jesus to be our reference point in this framework. That, God, all of this religious experience, all of Christianity, all of what we do in church, it's not built on anything other than who he is, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I pray, God, as we're all challenged to kind of shift our framework back to, to Jesus and who he is and, and kind of discard all those other things that stand in the way, I pray that we would feel a connection like we've never felt before. I pray that our lives would begin to shift like they've never shifted before as we fix our eyes on Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.